Yes, we're reading Ephesians 3, uh, verses 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, do, do keep the Bibles, your Bibles open um, if you have one with you, and if you have the handout, um, do use it to, to follow along. So the, the question that I, I want us to be considering this lunchtime is, what do you pray uh, for a discouraged Christian? And I, I want to suggest that this time, uh, is not, this is not a niche question. You may know uh, many who are feeling discouraged during um, the past few weeks. Uh, there are many things to, to cause discouragement uh, today. Uh, mental stresses during the lockdown. Uh, if you've been obviously following the news, a lot of injustice in the world, or the feeling that God doesn't care. So the question is, what should you pray for a discouraged Christian? Um, or perhaps what should you pray for yourself if you are that person who's feeling discouraged? Now, over the past few weeks, we have been looking at the letter to the Ephesians, and to the Ephesians, and we said that the Ephesian church was a discouraged church. Uh, they were discouraged about a few things. Uh, like they were discouraged about them feeling weak and ordinary and things looking pretty bleak. But they were also discouraged about Paul's chains, uh, his imprisonment. And we get that from the letter, Paul suffering in prison. And so for the second time in this letter, uh, Paul, he writes out his prayer for them. Uh, he writes out his prayer for a discouraged church. So what does Paul pray for a church that is discouraged? Well, let's see what God has to say to us today. I want to suggest um, that the passage that we have for us starts out with a surprise. If you look at verse 13, I'm just before verse 14, and let me read it for you. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, Paul, for he thinks that his suffering, his chains, his imprisonment is the reason why he prays. And you might ask, why is suffering the reason why he, he prays for them? Uh, it may not seem to make sense on the surface. But if you've been following our series so far, you know that it makes perfect sense. Uh, there's something upside down about God's economy. And there's something about the cross that inverts our expectations. Now, on the handout, you might have seen uh, a short recap or summary of where we've gotten to. Um, and in your own time, you can look through the, the headings and to see where we've gotten to so far in this letter. But one of the key passages uh, was the passage we saw last week. Um, and the point being that his imprisonment or his chains 
rather than being a source of discouragement, is evidence of power. Now, his suffering is evidence that he met the risen Lord on the road to Damascus, uh, who commissioned him to be a minister. But not just any minister, a minister that suffers. So Paul thinks that his suffering, his, his chains, is evidence of power. And so that is the reason why he prays in our passage today. I was chatting with Hitton over this passage, and he suggested that perhaps this uh, prayer that we have, for us, uh, we have with us today is the climax of the letter, and, and perhaps he, he might be right. And you can imagine the picture as, as Paul, he, he bows his knees and he, he leans on his bed, and as he gets down on his knees, uh, the chains that are around his hands, they, they clink in the background as he prays. And he's doing exactly what he was commissioned to do. Uh, a minister, suffering, praying for his church. Oh, well, but what does, what does Paul pray for? And that's where we are on point one of the handout. It's a prayer, uh, firstly, for power. I look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Uh, what do you pray for, for a discouraged Christian? Uh, the first thing to pray for is a prayer for power or strength. What is the source of that strength, I look at verse 16, according to the riches of God's glory. Uh, the riches, the wealth, the abundance of God's glory. Uh, God's glory is, is not a piggy bank of, of collection of pennies. Uh, it's a large storehouse of treasure. Uh, but where does that strengthening of that power happen? Uh, look down to verse 16, that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, or if you like, your inner man. Paul is he's not concerned about the externals. Uh, when he thinks power, he's not thinking of big, bulging muscles. Um, he, he doesn't care whether your body is wasting away. Uh, Paul is praying for, for strength in your inner man, uh, the control center of your life, your, your core, your being. Uh, but what is the power for? Uh, what is the outcome of that power? Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, perhaps you might ask, well, you know, was Christ not dwelling before? And I want to suggest that can't be the case. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 13, we, he's, we saw that Paul tells the Ephesian church they have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the whole argument of Ephesians is that they are united with Christ. Uh, Christ's resurrection life is theirs. And their, Christ being the temple, uh, because of them being united with Christ, uh, they are the temple. Uh, they are united with Christ. Uh, Christ already dwells in them. Uh, so what does Paul mean here uh, when he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? Uh, I would suggest it's, it's dwelling in a, in a deeper way uh, in where Christ would have a greater controlling influence over you. 
And I want to suggest this is really, uh, really significant. Uh, there's a seismic shift of what has happened from the, the old covenant to the new covenant. Uh, Nahida, and uh, maybe a couple of you um, were asking in the question time over the past couple of weeks, you know, what is the difference between the, the old and the new covenant? And one of the key differences is, is this, um, is that they already have God's presence. Uh, let me um, read a passage from Leviticus chapter 26. Give me one second to flash it on screen. And so notice uh, what he says. Uh, this is describing the old covenant. Uh, if you walk in my statutes and obey my commandments and do them, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Uh, you see the point uh, that, that Moses here is writing about. If they walk, then God promises to walk among them. Uh, if they walk in accordance to God's law, then God promises to walk among them. Uh, do you notice the, the great difference between what our passage is saying? Uh, here, Christ is not walking among us. Uh, he is in us. Uh, he is in our inner being. Uh, he is in our hearts. And so, so we obey as a result. In the Old Covenant, you, you obey to get more of God's presence. Uh, you work for the wages. But in the New Covenant, uh, you already have all of God's presence. You have Christ dwelling in you. Uh, so then you obey. You've already been paid in full. So walk or so obey. I think that also explains uh, verse 17b. That bit that says uh, that you being rooted and grounded in love, and in the original, it's it's not really clear where that phrase um, where it goes. Does it go with verse seventeen, or does it go with the next half in verse eighteen? And the commentators are are split on this. And personally, I don't think it matters hugely. Uh, but from my personal view, I think it explains the the certainty that Christ will and continue to dwell. See, in the Old Covenant, uh, you could lose God's presence if you were disobedient. And that's what happened to Israel. They disobeyed the law. Uh, they just disregarded the commandments. And they got sent into exile. Uh, they lost God's presence. But in the New Covenant, um, as Christians, uh, you, you can't. Uh, you can't lose God's presence because it's, it's not rooted and grounded in your obedience, uh, but it's rooted and grounded in love, in Christ's love for you. Uh, it's the love that he had for you when he carried his wooden cross to Calvary. Uh, it's the love that he had when he had those nails being driven down into his palm and uh, the crown of thorns being pressed down on his brow. Uh, it's the love that he, he showed where the full blaze of God's wrath uh, on, on sin uh, was on him for you. You see, that is the, the love that assures you that Christ will and continue to dwell. The Paul prays that they may have power so that Christ may, may dwell in a, in a deeper way and then that they may be sure um, that he will continue to, to dwell because they are rooted and grounded in Christ's love for us. So what do you pray for, for a discouraged Christian? Uh, the first thing we pray is, is we pray for power and your inner man, so that Christ would dwell more and more securely.
Uh, second point on your handout, it's the second part of his prayer. Uh, Paul prays for, for power that they might know. A prayer for power to know. I look at verse 18. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, you may have noticed that it's a progression from the first prayer in chapter 1 uh, to the prayer here in chapter 3. In chapter 1, Paul prays that they may know power. But here in, in our verses, Paul is praying for power to help them to, to know. Uh, but what are they supposed to know? Uh, there are two things. The first thing is the measurements. And I'm not sure when you were reading this passage, you found it a bit strange. Uh, Paul prays that they may know the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, but he doesn't explain what he is measuring. Um, it's not specifically clear, I think, what Paul is saying, but here are some options, and, and you can decide what you find to be the most compelling. Um, some suggest that um, the, the measurements refer to God's plan, uh, the vastness of God's plan. Some others suggest that it refers to the love that Jesus has. Uh, it's immeasurable, surpassing love um, that you cannot measure. Um, my, my view of what it's, it's actually referring to is the only thing I think that has measurements in Ephesians so far uh, refers to, if you like, the temple or the Holy of Holies. Um, the Holy of Holies was measured as a cube in the Old Testament. It was 30, 30 feet by 30 by 30. And here what Paul is describing is not the measurements of the, the old temple, uh, but the vastness of God's new temple. Uh, it's not a cube, 30 by 30 by 30, but it's measurements of a vast multinational temple, if you like, without limits. Uh, you have the American and the Chinese, or the North Korean and the South Korean. Uh, you have the British and, and the French, um, part of this vast temple. And also this vast multi-social um, economic classes, no limits uh, between a banker or a baker or an architect or an actor, a teacher or a toilet cleaner. And also multi, multiracial. Um, no distinctions between our appearance, uh, whether you're fair skin or dark skin or everything in between. So Paul wants them to know the, the vastness uh, of God's temple, the diversity and the complexity of God's temple the church. And secondly, in verse 19, what he wants him to know is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's, it's love which, which not only goes deep, which we can be assured that his presence will never leave us, but love that also goes wide uh, to all types of people, uh, to the vast temple that he is building, those far and those near. Uh, is love that surpasses all knowledge. And Paul prays that they may have power to, to know the unknowable. Um, so Paul is praying that they may know the vastness of God's new temple, uh, the church, and Christ's love for it. Uh, you may have noticed as well, there's a progression between the first half of the prayer and the second half of the prayer. In the first half, he, I think he's praying for individuals to be strengthened. But when he gets to verse 18, he is praying for all the saints, uh, collectively, all of us to know. And so as individuals are strengthened, 
and as collectively we know all that we have in Jesus. That leads to the outcome in verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You may be wondering what that means. Um, they are sort of big sounding words, but not apparently clear, like what does it mean? So the language of being filled or fullness or dwelling, that's all temple language. Um, that's how the temple is being described in the Old Testament. And I think Paul's point is this, um, that is, as we know all that we have in Jesus, God's temple is being filled. Let me try to give you a picture of what's happening here. Let me put up another reference for you. And uh, this is uh, an Old Testament reference where Solomon just finished building the temple. And let me read it for you. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, a fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground and on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And I think what Paul is saying is this, um, as, as we know more about the, the vastness of, of the church and the love that Christ has for it, uh, the temple, as we sort of saw in two chronicles, uh, we the temple is being is being filled. And and let me ask: Do, do you realize that's that is what's been happening every every single week? Um, you, on first glance, like what we do here doesn't seem to be particularly impressive. Uh, you might have asked a friend to to join us on on Thursday lunchtime. Uh, you might have shared that uh, what we do here is that we look at the Bible passage together. And we discuss about it after that. And your friend might have said, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for you. And it and, and doesn't, doesn't turn up. Um, but what was happening when Alistair was reading the passage uh, just now, and as we have been looking at our words today, and God was filling the temple. And his glory was filling the temple. As we know, the temple is being filled. And it's not because we are, are special, but because we have read his words and we have come to know the power at work in us. Uh, consider the Ephesian church uh, discouraged uh, because of life as a Christian being, being hard and, and Paul being in chains. And every week they, they meet once a week to, to gather together, to pray together, to, to read a bit of, of scripture together. Uh, doesn't look impressive. Uh, but Paul wants them to know that God's end time temple is, is being filled. It's a, it's a weak situation, but a glorious outcome. So what do you pray for, um, for a discouraged Christian? Uh, first, I think pray, pray that we may be strengthened with, with power so that Christ would dwell. And pray for power to know all we have in Christ um, so that the temple is, is filled. Um, I've got a couple of thoughts on application, but I think before we, we get to application, I was, I was thinking it might be just good reason, uh, just because we're looking at prayer today, uh, just to go into breakout groups for about three minutes, um, just to, to pray and pause prayer for, for each other. 
Um, so why don't let's, let's do that now. Uh, let's just go into breakout groups and just take Paul's prayer and just pray that for one another. Uh, I hope you had an encouraging time praying uh, with one another. Uh, let me read uh, the verses that come next. Uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, you see, the, the promise in verse 20 is not about uh, naming and claiming um, anything that we, we want, uh, let's say a new car or a bigger bank balance. Uh, that would be an insult to what Paul is saying here. Uh, but rather what Paul is saying is in the light of what we have just prayed for one another, um, the knowing to be strengthened with power, uh, the power to, to know all we have in Christ, um, Paul is saying that God can do far more than what we've, we've just asked or, or even thought because um, he will get the glory because he strengthens and fills uh, those who are weak. Uh, a couple of thoughts on application as we, as we close. Uh, firstly, the, the importance of knowing, knowing and the new covenant Christian. Um, firstly, the thing to say is that knowing is not about intellectualism. Um, the, really, the, the main distinction between the old and new covenant um, is that the outcome is secure. And so knowing is, is really key. I see the forgiveness and, and pardon, uh, the final day verdict on the judgment day, it's already settled. Um, as Christians, you already have a new creation life. You are already in perfect relationship with your creator. Um, and all of that has been accomplished on the cross. Uh, which is done by the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And so all these things, uh, they were not given uh, in, the, in the old covenant, uh, but for, for the new covenant Christian, uh, what do you have to do? Uh, well, you, you just have to, to know it, uh, to know that you already have it, uh, to pray and that you, you know it. And the more we, we know what we already have, uh, the more knowledge of what we have in the Lord Jesus, the more that knowledge will, will transform us and the more we will walk in the light of it. And last application as we, as we close, uh, just to realize what's happening um, on Sundays and, and Thursdays as you meet together with, with God's people to listen to his word. Um, you, uh, I mean, consider all that's happening in, in the world today, um, the COVID-19 or, or justice for, for George Floyd. Those are big, significant events that will shape the course of history. But I would think Paul would say that the biggest, most significant thing that is happening uh, is that God is filling his temple. As we know more about all we have in Christ, and his temple is filled. A verse for us as we, we close today. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, let me close. Uh, let me pray as we, we close. Father, we praise you uh, for, for the Lord Jesus. We pray that we may know all that we have in him. And by knowing, Father, might you fill your temple. In his name we pray. Amen.